3: Hi everybody, welcome to We the Children, the podcast where kids talk climate change. I'm your resident kid, Zachary James, from Los Angeles, California. I may be 11 years old, but I have big concerns for our future. We, the children, are being punished for what our ancestors have done to our world for centuries. Decades of policymakers and big corporations have made billions at the expense of my generation's future. And the worst part? They've escaped consequence. Until now. Each week, we will discuss the most pressing climate issues and meet climate warriors who are working to protect our planet. You'll get wacky weather reports, play fun trivia games, and learn ways that you can make a difference in your community. We may not have all the answers, but we will fight for climate solutions. That's why I'm recording this podcast instead of playing with my friends. Let's get to work. On with the show! Hey everybody, welcome to We the Children. I'm so glad you're here. We have a great show for you today. We are going to hear from marine scientist Emily Parker from Heal the Bay, a Los Angeles-based organization that works to remove plastics from the oceans and beaches. We'll also have our head in the clouds for the Wacky River Report, and we'll swim through some trivia with my friend Emily. And as always, stick around to the very end for the important action step of the week. So without further ado, let's get to my interview with Emily. Take it away! First question, how did you become an environmental activist and marine scientist at Yule Bay?
2: I've always known since I was a little girl that I wanted to do something with the ocean, but I didn't exactly know what. I grew up in New England on the shore of the Long Island Sound, and I spent a lot of time at the oceans. And I like to say I have salt water in my veins, so I've always been a lover of the ocean and always wanted to protect it. My real interest really peaked in high school, I took a marine biology class, and it really paved the way for me to keep pursuing my dream of working with the ocean as an adult. I have a bachelor's of arts in environmental sciences, and I ended up going into environmental education. So I ended up working with students and specifically bringing them out into nature, bringing them onto boats, out to the ocean, to rivers, to streams, to forests and mountains, and bringing students into those environments. And... That really inspired me to go on my own big learning adventure, and I did that when I was 25 years old. I moved to Costa Rica for six months, and there I got to do all of these amazing projects where I worked on marine conservation. So that's the practice of protecting and keeping safe our you know, marine ecosystems and all the wildlife that lives there. And that made me realize that I was ready to really pursue marine conservation specifically. So while science was always cool to me, education was always cool to me, I realized that what I wanted to do with this love for the ocean was to conserve and to protect it. So I ended up going back to school. I got a master's degree in marine conservation and biodiversity. And that's why I ended up at Heal the Bay.
3: Heal the Bay is a nonprofit organization based in Los Angeles that works to protect the Pacific coastline, to restore our waterways, and advocate for clean water policy. Emily is a marine scientist at Heal the Bay, but she is not wearing a lab coat every day. Her job is to use her scientific knowledge to help improve laws. Specifically, she helps influence laws that govern what we can and cannot do around our oceans. She acts as a bridge between the science community and the government. Why is it important to protect the ocean? The ocean provides so much
2: more than the everyday person may even realize the ocean provides. For example, one in seven people on our planet get their primary source of food from our oceans, from seafood. So without a healthy ocean ecosystem, those people wouldn't have enough food to survive. Or everyone on our planet has to breathe, right? And every breath you take, about 70% of the oxygen that you're breathing in actually comes from phytoplankton in the ocean. Phytoplankton are like tiny little photosynthesizing organisms that are taking in carbon dioxide and putting back out oxygen. So the ocean, a healthy ocean ecosystem is the reason that we have food to eat, the reason we have air to breathe. But more than that, it also provides us with recreation opportunities, with job opportunities, shipping channels, I mean, global travel and global communication started on our oceans and it continues to this day. So without healthy ocean ecosystems, we as a species won't be able to survive. Our climate wouldn't be regulated properly. We wouldn't have enough food to eat. We wouldn't have enough oxygen to breathe, right? So while I work to protect our oceans, one, because I love the ocean, I also protect our oceans to help keep myself safe, my community safe, and everyone who lives on this planet safe, because without a healthy ocean, none of us would be able to be here.
3: Why are plastics harmful to humans and the ocean?
2: Oh, plastics. (laughs) There are so many reasons that the material plastic is harmful. But I'll hone in on just a couple of things here. When plastic ends up in our environment, two things can happen. It is often mistaken for food by wildlife, and it can be ingested by that wildlife. And those animals aren't supposed to be eating that food. And so it can wreak havoc on their bodies and it can make its way up the food chain and sometimes even make its way back into our own bodies, which is kind of scary because plastics are really good at absorbing toxins. And so they can end up back into our systems. And if they don't make us feel falsely full or choke us, right, they can also make us sick. So that can cause a
3: lot of harm. This is a theme that has come up again and again on We the Children. Climate change, plastics in our ocean, and toxins in our environment all affect planet Earth and our precious ecosystems. But they also impact us as humans and our health. Another
2: way that it can cause harm in the ocean is what we call entanglement. So animals can actually get wrapped up and entangled in this debris, and it can prevent them from doing their normal everyday functions like swimming or feeding or even breathing. So it can cause direct harm onto the animals that are living in our oceans, right? But beyond that, plastic in our environment isn't supposed to be there. And so it can cause all kinds of other problems. And the best way that I can talk about this is to talk about where plastic actually comes from. So plastic was originally invented over 100 years ago as a replacement for ivory.
3: If you haven't heard of ivory, let me explain. It's a bone like material that comes mainly from elephant tusks. Ivory is very durable, but it's very harmful to produce. You have to kill an entire elephant, an endangered species, just to harvest its tusks. While it is outlawed in most places, many poachers and hunters still continue to practice illegally.
2: So we needed a different material that was just as durable, just as strong, and just as functional, but didn't come from killing animals, so plastic was used. But unfortunately, over the course of many, many decades, this material that was originally designed to be used forever and to be really durable and really strong, we started using it for single-use items. For example, bottles or cups or plates. You've probably actually used a piece of single-use plastic today. They're really hard to avoid. And the problem of taking something that was meant to last forever and turning it into something that is used for only a few minutes is that we've created this waste problem. We have all of this disposable material that doesn't break down naturally, that is really hard to get rid of, and we have nothing to do with it. So it's clogging our landfills, it's littering our environment, and it's making us sick. A lot of people don't know that plastic is actually a fossil fuel product, which means it comes from the same place that we get our gasoline for our cars or the oil to heat our homes. And if you've ever heard about how we get fossil fuels, it's not a very clean process. We have to drill it, we have to refine it, we have to ship it, And it causes a lot of what's called greenhouse gas emissions. So those are those nasty gases that go up into our atmosphere and are causing climate change. So not only is it contributing to climate change, which is warming our our planet, causing drought, causing more extreme weather events, so many things happening with climate change, right? But those emissions can also make people sick. So the people that live close to these oil wells, to these refineries, they're getting sick. And those communities tend to already be underserved and vulnerable communities. So plastic, from the moment it's drilled out of the ground all the way to when we dispose of it at every single stop, is causing harm.
3: This just in. Clouds are everywhere. We interrupt this interview for a special Wacky Weather Report. Hmm. That's gotta be a bunny rabbit. Or maybe a horse? Oh, hello there! You call me cloud-gazing, one of my most favorite hobbies. Clouds are such amazing things. They're the white, fluffy marshmallows of the sky. They give shade, make it rain, and even play a vital role in climate change. As the planet warms, clouds are moving faster through the atmosphere and changing the way they cover the Earth with all their feathery goodness. Depending on the location and the type of cloud, clouds can even have a warming effect or a cooling effect. Some research suggests that decreasing in clouds causes the Earth to become more sensitive to greenhouse gases. Furthermore, cloud migration is picking up speed as the planet heats up. This sends clouds that normally like to hang out in the middle of the planet to the poles of the planet, creating all sorts of clouds confusion. For crying out, Cloud, I can't keep up. Despite being soft and fluffy, clouds can actually be a double-edged sword. We need clouds to protect us by reflecting the harshest rays of the sun back into the space. But if there's a heavy layer of clouds during the night, heat gets trapped closer to the Earth's surface. We all know by now that trapped heat in the atmosphere is no good. Scientists still have more to study when it comes to these tricky little things called clouds. Good luck, researchers. And when you get more info, send it over to my cloud. That's your wacky weather forecast. Happy cloud gazing, everyone. We now return you to your regularly scheduled programming. Back to our interview with Emily Parker. What is source reduction? Ooh, really good question. So just
2: now I mentioned that we want to move away from plastic as a disposable material. So how exactly do we do that? Well, I like to tell people if you had a bathtub that was overflowing with water, the first thing that you would do wouldn't be to grab a mop to try to clean up the water on the floor. And you wouldn't try to grab a bucket and bail out the bathtub, right? You'd turn off the tap. You'd turn the water off. That's what source reduction is, but for plastic. So instead of trying to clean the plastic off of our beaches, like you would with a mop uh, in in the analogy, or trying to clean plastic up out of our oceans, like the bucket and bailing out the water. Instead, what we need to do is stop that plastic from getting into the environment in the first place. And the best way to do that is by reducing it at the source. So that's what source reduction means. It means um, making less and using less plastic in our everyday lives so that it never ends up in the ocean in the first place. And some of the ways that we can do that, and probably the best way that we can do that, is switching to what we call reuse and refill. So reusing items over and over and over again means we need and use less disposable products. And refilling means we can take those reusable products and refill them and use them over and over and over again and create what we call a circular economy, Cir- like circular like a circle, right? Right. Um, Right now we're in what's called a linear economy, which means um, I I like to say it
0: like we take. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role like me.
1: In a given month, over 70 percent of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites.
2: then we make, then we dispose. It's a straight line, right? We take a resource, we make something with it, and then we throw it away. But we all know there is no away, right? So instead, what we want to see is something that is a circle, right? So that we have this resource, we turn it into something, we use it, and then we take that resource and we can turn it into something new, and we can use it over and over again. We can close that loop. And source reduction is how we can get there, how we can reduce plastic and move to that circular um, system.
3: Yeah, we can all admit that we can never live in a fully plastic-free world. Can you help us understand the difference between different types or brands of plastic? Is there such thing as a better type of plastic?
2: I don't wanna live in a world where there is zero plastic. And I've been talking to you a lot already about disposable plastic. So this is the plastic that's designed to be used just one time and then thrown away. This in my opinion is the worst kind of plastic there is. 80% of the trash that we're finding is this single use plastic. And we know that it's the thing that we can reduce the most easily. So that's what I work on is trying to reduce single use plastic foodware specifically. But within disposable plastics, there's lots of different types. If I have to buy something that is in disposable plastic, I try to buy something that's either a number one, a number two, or a number five. And the reason is because those plastics are the most recyclable. So I feel a little bit better about that.
3: It's just as important to avoid certain plastics too. Here are some of the problem plastics. Plastic number six, which is made from chemicals like polystyrene, otherwise known as styrofoam, is the hardest to clean up in the environment. So think twice before you reach for that styrofoam cup. Plastic number seven, or bioplastics, is another one to avoid, but it's more complicated. Even though it's made from corn or soy and not fossil fuels, it behaves just like other plastics and can't be recycled or composted. So check your food packaging. It seems like focusing on reusables is an easy step that kids and families can do. What else can we do? Talk about the problem.
2: When I was your age, people didn't really
3: talk about plastic
2: pollution. I didn't learn about plastic in our oceans until I was in grad school, only about five or six years ago. So one of the best things that we can do is tell everyone about this problem. Tell your parents, tell your friends, and if you're feeling brave, tell your teachers or even tell your senator or your local representative. Tell someone with authority who can make change about this problem and tell them that it matters to you because our lawmakers, our decision makers, they usually make their decisions based on what their constituents want and need. Constituents is a fancy word for someone that they represent. So by talking about it, by making it a more uh, well-known topic, By telling people the problems with plastic, we're far more likely to get solutions because without the buy-in from everyday populations, from everyday people, our lawmakers won't make those decisions for us. So we have to influence them to make those decisions. And believe it or not, even if you're not old enough to vote yet, that's still something that you can do and still something that will be listened to. But... You, as an individual person, shouldn't be responsible for cleaning up the mess that these big companies made. What we want to see is those big companies take those responsibilities on themselves. And we can do that by passing laws that make them do it. And you can help do that by using your voice and talking to this issue um, to everyone you know. Talk about it with them. Um, And I think this podcast is a great way that you're already doing that.
3: What concerns you the most about climate change?
2: I think the big thing that's starting to worry me is aridification. It's a fancy word that kind of means drought, but it's the long-term drying up of certain areas. And where we live is starting to experience that. So I'm really worried about where we're gonna get our water from and how we're gonna get our water and how we're going to fairly distribute that water to people. Depending on where you live, you might have different concerns for climate change. I know people who live right on the water, um, I'm also one of these people, I live really close to the ocean, are probably also worried about sea level rise, right? Those water levels rising and potentially their um, homes or schools being inundated by water. Um, Some people may be worried about wildfires. I'm pretty lucky where I live. I live in the middle of a city, so wildfires don't worry me as much, but some people are probably really worried about wildfires. Um, But I would say, yeah, the thing that's worrying me the most right now is where we're going to get our water and how we're going to get it. And I think that's going to start becoming a problem sooner than we think.
3: And last question, what gives you the most hope?
2: Just how closely the youth of our country is paying attention to climate change. When I was a kid, it was not common for younger students for my peers to be talking about the health of our environment. It just wasn't something we talked about that much. And so what gives me so much hope is that people your age are really paying attention to climate change. And not only are they paying attention, but they are screaming from rooftops about it. I've seen some of the most incredible climate activists who are young people, who are you know young students um, under the age of 10 or even in their teens who are just Really shouting about this and are bringing so much attention and awareness to this. And we're starting to see it make a difference. I mean, just recently, we passed the biggest climate bill in the United States that we've ever passed. That's amazing. And that, I think, is a testament to just how loud and effective the voices of the younger generations in our country are being. I'm not that old myself. I am only 31, but I feel like the people who are much younger than me are the ones who are going to really make a difference. And that gives me so much hope for the
3: health of our planet. Such cool information. Head to -to HealToBay.org for more ways you can help. They have a great blog with tons of cool articles about action steps. And now it's time to test your plastics IQ. Hi, Emily, let's get right into it. Here's our first question. What country has the toughest laws against single-use plastic? Is it A, Kenya, B, Japan, C, Taiwan, or D, England? I know all of these
2: countries have some laws against single-use plastic, but I'm not sure which
3: one's the best. I'm gonna take my best guess I think it
2: might be
3: Japan. Ah, so close. <coughs> Kenyans who are caught producing, selling, or even using plastic bags will risk, risk imprisonment up to four years or fines of $40,000. Runners up include China, France, Italy, Rwanda. All of these countries have banned, partially banned, or taxed single use plastics. So cool. I had no idea. <laughs> Here's our next question. How many pieces of plastic are currently in the oceans globally? Is it A, 900 billion, B, 51 trillion, C, 38 billion, or D, 10 trillion?
2: I think it's B, 51
3: trillion. Correct. 51 trillion pieces of plastic in our ocean. That's Way too much. So many pieces. Here's our third question. How many microplastics or tiny fragments of plastic invisible to the naked eye does the average person consume or eat each year? Is it A, 100,000, B, 50,000, C, 70,000, or D, 20,000?
2: I know how many grams of plastic it is a week, but I don't know how many pieces it is a year. So I'm going to take a wild guess. Is it 20,000? Boo!
3: I wish. (laughs) Oh no, is it more? It's 70,000 pieces every year. Ah! Microplastics can be consumed by humans from drinking plastic bottles eating food in plastic containers, but also eating animals or fish contaminated with microplastics themselves. That works out to about 100 bits of microplastic over the course of just one meal. Yikes. Here's our last question. Which of the seven seas is most polluted? Is it A, the Mediterranean, B, the Atlantic, C, the Indian Ocean, or D, the Arctic Ocean?
2: So my answer would have been Pacific, but it's not on here. So I think I'm gonna go with Indian?
3: Actually, it's Mediterranean.
2: Really? Researchers
3: blamed tourism for the increased pollution in Mediterranean.
2: Huh, interesting. I had no idea the Mediterranean was so polluted.
3: Yeah. Well, thanks for coming on. This was fun. My
2: pleasure. Thank you so much for having me, Zach.
3: Great game, Emily. Enjoy the new wave of knowledge. So before we wrap up, let's get to the action step of the week. Let me just grab my pencil.
2: Hey Zach, are you busy? I really want to show you my indoor hydroponics lettuce garden.
3: That's so cool, Claire, but I'm busy writing a letter. A letter? Snail mail? What is this, 1950? I'm writing to my local congresswoman, actually, about all this trash on the street and the sidewalk. Not only is it unsightly, but we all know where it's going. Straight to the ocean. Wow, you can
2: write letters to local politicians who make decisions about our community, and they actually read them?
3: Definitely! It's important to make changes in your community and express what you believe is right. Congress people, city council people, and senators want to hear your ideas and concerns.
2: Now, how does this all work? Can I write a letter too? I've got a lot of things I want to get off my chest.
3: Sure! Here are the steps to writing a letter for your representative. First, figure out who you want to write to. Have a grown-up help you go to www.myreps.datamade.us. Pop in your zip code, and this site will list your local, county, state, and federal elected officials. It even includes their addresses to make writing letters that much easier. Next, introduce yourself to your legislator, and make sure they know who you are from their district. Then, make a stand. Explain what you want to change and why you want to change it. Provide specific examples for your concern. Don't be afraid to share your voice and feelings. The more personal the letter, the more compelling it will be. One piece of advice, keep it to one page, about three to four paragraphs. That might seem like a lot, but once you get going, it will flow. Once you're done, sign your name and call it a day. We, the children, may not be able to vote yet, but we are able to make our voices heard
2: Wow, Zach. Thanks for all the tips. I'll get right
3: to work. Good luck, Claire. Let her me know how it goes. Well, that's our show, folks. Don't forget to get out there and rock the boat. Thank you for tuning in to We the Children podcast. If you like what you heard, please subscribe, like, and leave a review wherever you get your podcasts. Don't hesitate to reach out for story ideas, questions or concerns at we the children podcast or remember if we act together we the children can inspire hope and create change for a climate tune in next time for more climate content now with planet is warming try to stay cool this is zachary james signing off